So only 30% of women who are sexual trauma develop PTSD, but about 60 to 80% of them will develop sexual dysfunction. So I was one of those people who didn't have PTSD, but I had sexual dysfunction. And I really didn't know why sex sucked so much in my 20s. And I was always like plagued by this disconnect where I was able to masturbate and have an orgasm on my own, but I could never have an orgasm with a partner. And I was just like, why am I broken? Like, what is wrong with me? Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. It's becoming more and more clear that most chronic diseases, if not all, stem from mitochondrial dysfunction, the cellular batteries responsible for creating energy in every single cell in our body, all of the many trillions. Now, when looking deeper at the current metabolic crisis in women, three of the biggest areas that need to be addressed, like yesterday, are declining mitochondrial health, are rising blood sugar levels, and metabolic syndrome, which is the defining moment when three or more of the metabolic markers are out of normal range. These are blood sugar, triglycerides, waist-to-hip ratio, blood pressure, and lipids. And here's why. According to mitochondrial scientists, metabolic diseases emerge when mitochondrial energy capacity declines past 50%, which is the threshold for insufficient energy availability. Without enough energy, the body loses its ability to maintain normal homeostatic endpoints. I'm talking about those metabolic markers that I mentioned earlier, blood sugar, blood pressure, and blood fats in normal range. So today I invited Dr. Molly Maloof to shed light on how women can optimize their mitochondrial health with the use of biohacking tools, food, and a deep connection to change their health outcome and health span. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to live as young as possible for as long as possible. We also dive into a big missing component when it comes to health span, and that is deep connection and even intimacy. Dr. Molly believes the deep connection is a ticket to living a longer and more joyful life, and I wholeheartedly agree. Now, before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Molly Malov provides health optimization, and personalized medicine to high-achieving entrepreneurs, investors, and technology executives. For three years, she taught a pioneering course on health span in the wellness department of medical school at Stanford University before launching her own company. Um, she was inspired by her own unique health philosophy. Dr. Maloof is on the frontier of personalized medicine, digital health technologies, biofeedback-assisted lifestyle interventions, psychedelic medicine, and science-backed wellness products and services. And her new book is out. It's called The Spark Factor. Let's welcome Molly to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Molly, girl, how are you doing today? I mean, you look good. Thank you. I'm actually having one of those days where I woke up and I was like, wow, I'm really tired today. And I look at my HRV and it's definitely a little bit lower. And I fended off a cold last week, but it's been kind of like lingering. And it's like, I didn't get a full cold, but you know, when you get that cold where it's like halfway there, but it's just annoying. So I'm feeling good and actually pretty happy with my performance, despite being a little under the weather. Mm, Yeah. I wouldn't have known. I got full hit with that cold last week and I'm on the other side of it, but yeah, but I know as a, as a mom in particular, cause a lot of things come through our household. There are definitely where I'll just get the little, the little bit, I'll just skim the surface of that virus. And then, 
you know, move through. Well, you are pulling it off. And I am, I've been looking forward to this conversation because you are definitely leading the pack and really showing women what is possible in terms of, you know, biohacking and knowing our bodies and then making real-time pivots. I was looking at my HRV this morning myself and, you know, every day kind of gauging how I feel and then looking at my stats and my data and moving forward. But I know that there was a time about 10 years ago where you were pivoting. You were having this aha moment. You kind of had what I call a defining moment where what, you know, kind of what you were taught in medicine and what you wanted to do, there was definitely a disconnect. People weren't on the train. And I and I know when you're kind of navigating in that new kind of unknown terrain, a lot of people are not that thrilled about it or you're not getting the support you're looking for and it can feel very lonely. But can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Because that led to all the work you've done in the last decade. It led to the spark factor, which is phenomenal. I was literally just listening to it again. Oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. I have it on Kindle and I have it on, I need the hard, I'll have all three. I just don't have the hard copy, but I have Kindle and Audible. But as a mom, I just listen. I listen to so much content. So I'm breastfeeding my son last night. There were a couple things I wanted to brush up on since I had read it last. And then I was listening to it this morning on my walk. And so I'm really excited to get into some of that today because your book really does a marvelous job of bringing it all together. I mean, it was a labor of love for three years. And it definitely is the amalgamation of a lot of my work in multiple industries. And yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not a normal doctor. And funnily enough, I knew I was going to be a doctor from a very young age, but I also knew I wasn't going to be a normal doctor. And I just had this deep sense of knowing that like, okay, I'm going to be a healer, but I'm not going to do it the same way everyone else is telling me to be, to do it. And I was told multiple times, like, don't become a doctor. Like you don't want to do this. This is going to be miserable. And it was really hard. It was by literally the president, the president of the Peoria Medical Society specifically said you should become a uh, patent lawyer instead, because you're gonna make so much more money and have a much better lifestyle. And I was like, you know, I, I knew I was meant to be a doctor when I definitely was like, not even the president of the Peoria Medical Society can talk me out of this. That's when, when I, when young people ask me, should I become a doctor? I'm like, can I talk you out of it? And will you still say, yes, I'm going to be a doctor. Then, you know, like, then, you know, you're meant to be a doctor. If you can't be talked out of it, then, you know, it's your calling, but it's funny because you you get you get to this point of manifesting your dream and it's kind of a nightmare and I'm I'm like the black sheep in my program and I don't fit in the hospital and I'm always trying to change things and I'm complaining about everything all the time and everyone's like Molly just keep your head down your mouth shut and do your work and I was like I am not going to flourish here like I'm going to get sick if I stay in this system. I'm going to end up really ill because I'm not healthy to begin with. It, I was not healthy as a, as a resident. I was healthy as a medical student, but it was really hard to maintain my health practices when I was working so much. And I was just thinking to myself, this is not the life that I envisioned who I am becoming. And I also didn't like who I was becoming. You know you're on the wrong career if the person that you are becoming is not someone that you like. If you like are becoming a version of yourself that you really don't want to be around it's pretty significant and you need to listen to like, maybe this isn't the right job for you. And the funny thing is, is that it's not that I wasn't meant to be a doctor. It's just, I wasn't meant to do it the way I was being taught. I saw very clearly that there were a lot of problems in the healthcare system that I was not going to be able to fix. And I thought I could fix some. I was lobbying for healthcare reform in medical school. And I was like, so convinced that like, I'm idealistic and I can change the world. And then I was like hit by so many barriers. And I was just like, okay, 
I feel normal when I hang out with my friends that are in tech. And I feel like a crazy person when I go to the hospital and I would go hang out with my friends who were dropouts of big, you know, big name universities, starting tech companies, raising millions of dollars. And then I would go to work and I would feel like an outcast and a black sheep. And and I would just feel like I'm a bad person, frankly. And I just knew that it was like round peg. It was like square peg, round hole problem. Like I just didn't fit in. And so I said, okay, I think I need to leave and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure it out. And I asked a bunch of my peers and they're like, look, if you leave the system, nobody, it's a no man's land. <laughs> like nobody knows how to survive out there. And the funny thing is, is that part of the reason why doctors become doctors is because there's a clear path to follow. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go chart my own path. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I have no idea, <laughs> but I know something is happening in tech. And it was 2011, 2012. And I'm thinking there's something happening out there. I know it's going to change medicine. I don't know how, but I want to be a part of that tsunami because I think if I don't, then it's going to change my life, whether I like it or not. So I started networking and I got a job and I was able to find a job through my community and I was able to double my income and have my work hours. My parents were very pleased that I was no longer unemployed, but they were not very, they were like, what are you doing with your life? They were so confused. And I had a friend who brought over some tarot cards. And I was like, what, what is this tarot card set for? And he gave, it was a gift for me. And he was like, look, I know you've been really struggling with your career decision, but you need to own it because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody will. And I was like, okay. And then I pulled the first card and it was the fool card. And I was like, oh my God, my parents called me a fool. And now I pulled the fool card and I must be a fool for doing this. And he's like, no, Molly, that's like one of the best cards in the deck because it's your beginning of your hero's journey. And I was like, okay, okay, different story. This is good. It's the story, right? It's, it's the way we want to go. And I got to go on an incredible hero's journey over the course of 10 years. And I was able to, I mean, there was tests, there was allies, there was enemies. I, was, I met a mentor. They helped me cross the chasm. And I mean, it was a whole hero's journey. And I came back with this knowledge of health and I started teaching it. And I got asked to teach at Stanford, which was like, Pretty remarkable for a girl who left her residency and didn't even get into Stanford in undergrad or medical school or residency. The fact that I got to teach in the medical school there was like the most ultimate vindication. But funnily enough, academia wasn't for me either. You know, like I found I was complaining a lot about the system at Stanford too. There's a pattern here. Might be a rebel. And I just I I, I wouldn't recommend my path for everybody because you have to be really courageous and you cannot be a shrinking violet. And it's not for people who aren't type A. It's not for people who aren't leaders. It's not for people who aren't willing to take risks. And it's not for people who are, who, who want to make like, look, I make great money, but the first few years of my career, when I was figuring things out, I was scraping by, you know, and it took lots of, lots and lots of just working for very little money to start developing reputation that I knew things. And then slowly, but surely just abundance started to build, but it was definitely like a massive leap of faith. And it was something that a lot of people ask me about. And I'm just like, do you really want to know the whole story? Because it wasn't easy. But looking back, it was a commitment to optimizing health and understanding health from a first principles perspective that led me to where I am today. I had a hypothesis. I go, well, if your your, your energy goes where your attention flows, then if my attention is on the intention of creating health, then there's a really good chance that in 10 years, I might be really healthy. And funnily enough, 10 years later, 
I'm in great health and I'm constantly optimizing. I'm constantly getting different tests done and imaging done. And I mean, it's like my hobby. It's what it's what it's my life. It's my hobby. It's what I do. But byproduct of investing in your health is you get these dividends of energy. You get dividends of energy. Like energy is, is literally the monetary currency of your, of your body. I say it's currency. I always say energy is currency. It's everything. So I feel, I feel like if my personal belief is that like having worked with billionaires, I live next door to a billionaire. Like I am not convinced that like billions of dollars is actually what is what makes you rich. I am convinced what makes you rich is how you feel every day waking up. Do you have, do you have autonomy over your life? Do you like who you are? And do you do you have a bunch of people around you that you love and trust? And that's what makes me feel rich more than the money in my bank account, which I, I feel good about, you know, my financial status, but I don't think about life the way most people do. I'm not like super oriented around being a billionaire because I've, I've worked with a lot of billionaires and a lot of them are staring up from an abyss. And I don't work with those people anymore because they're not the happiest people. But the people that I have worked with that are the happiest are the people with most purpose, the most connection and the most freedom. And sometimes when you become so successful that you have that much money in the bank, you actually have less freedom because you can't trust as many people. So you have a smaller circle of people around you and you actually have a smaller world. And so I, I have a very different sort of measurement stick of success than an average person does because I've seen what massive success, quote unquote, according to the society looks like. And it's not always what people think it's going to be. It's not always this joy-filled, connected life. It can actually be really painful existence. I want to talk about, because I've seen, you know, although I want to get into women being the ultimate, the first biohackers, I want to get into energy as currency. I want to get into the energy hormone connection. There's a lot, I've got like, I should see my little bulleted points out for this interview. But what I, what I was really fascinated, I've been watching you on, I, on Instagram and please everyone, I will have the link for Molly's Instagram account for you to go check her out. And one of the videos I've been seeing kind of the, the through line is connection. And I would love for you this. I was thinking I would go in this direction later, but because it came up, I would love for you to just speak into that in, cause I know that, you know, you said like you're measuring stick for success and happiness and wealth, or maybe affluence and abundance is those deep connections. And I know there's a lot of research that's tying us to that in, in a time where we are, you know, the loneliest we've ever been. Right. Well, so when you when I was studying the neurobiology of love, I was very curious, why is love so powerful? Why does it have this incredible effect on our biology? Why do we know that this heals? Like, what is love? What is it about? Why do we care about it? Because I'm a super nerd, as you haven't, told, haven't been told yet. Like, if you couldn't tell, I'm very curious about life itself. And I studied humanities in college because I wanted to understand people. So love is a big part of human existence. And human connection is part of the drive to love. So we have the sex drive, we have the romantic love drive, and we have the drive to attach and connect. And these are all sort of separate motivational drives that bring people together to share information and resources and to increase the chances of reproduction and longevity and survival, right? So when you think about connection, it's not just about the day-to-day, -day, I had dinner with a friend, it feels good, I'm happy. It's actually your connections are what are going to keep you alive for longer. And we share information and resources with those that we care about and those that we we actually feel safe with. And I mean, the amount of free advice that I've gotten from friends on my company has amounted to 
hundreds of thousands of dollars of consulting work that I just got because I had a call with someone that knew something more than I did. And so I, I think we underestimate the power of sharing that can bring us so much more joy and abundance in our lives than we, we really give it credit for. So I've always optimized my social networks. Like I, it's, I've been, I was a social chair in college. I was a social high school student. I'm an extrovert. I know I have an advantage as an extrovert. I'm an ENTP, Myers-Briggs. But whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, having strong, safe, loving, connected relationships gives you a secure base to return to when you feel unsafe or scared in the world. So when life gets challenging and you have people you can call to be like, have your back and to talk to, one of my best friends lost a partner and I was not going to give up on her and her life. You know, I had, I've had multiple friends lose partners and I just feel like grief and life challenges are real for everyone eventually. Right. So how we handle these experiences is so dependent on our connection. And we, we have this very um, ego oriented culture in America that it's all about you. It's all about you and your life. And look, I'm a hyper individualistic person. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely a unique butterfly in this world, but I know that I am not who I am because of just me. I am who I am because of the family that I was given and because of the friends that I have had that opened up their worlds to me to make my life happen, like my life flourish. Like my parents provided me with an incredible base of, of safety and security as a child, which was a huge advantage. And anyone who doesn't realize that that is an advantage is missing out. Like I was, I knew as a fifth grader that I had something different than most kids. I knew that what I had was special and I knew that it was rare. And I also knew that that because I was given so much that I, I had a lot expected of me because those who are given a lot should also give a lot. And the more that I have optimized my own health, mind, body, spirit, the more capacity I have to help other people and the more that other people have helped me. And so when I needed that job, when I left my residency, I had to go to my network and I had to connect and I had to, and, and I was able to find a job within a month, which is pretty crazy. Like a month is not a very long time to spend finding a job, especially when you have no life experience aside from medical school and residency, you know, like I had like a, a medical school and like I had like a year and a half of residency. So like, it wasn't like I had, it's not like I, it wasn't like I knew what I was doing. I just knew that I could do anything about my mind too. And the one thing I did have going for me was an, I was an autodidact. So learning how to learn should be like something we teach every child and learning how to learn the way you learn best is something that everybody should learn. Because once you learn that you can learn anything, but that's not part of school, which is sucks. I had to figure that out. And I didn't learn how to overcome test anxiety until I was in medical school. So like, it was literally the end of medical school that I started getting in my highest grades in school because I had horrible test anxiety my entire life. So I'm just like telling you all these anecdotes because I think when a lot of people see me online and they hear about who I am, they're like, she must have always had these advantages. And I have overcome so many different health problems. I've overcome so many, so many things that have, have not gone right for me in my life to get to where I am. And it's definitely a health optimization is like a journey of personal growth. And it's not just about fixing things that break. It's about really trying to continuously improve every day and knowing that you're never going to be perfect. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. 
Now this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. Well, I want to get into health optimization, and I'm so glad you shared with that. You know, it's this is a, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's a, a women's health podcast, but I think about, you know, women are the connectors, women are the community creators. And, you know, it, it, I think it's when, when women are working together and we're connecting and we're sharing information and we're cheering each other on, man, just the world changes. And so I just love hearing that from you specifically. And I know that it could not just be women that you're talking about, but that, yeah, I mean, and think about all the friends that have come to you when you've got life-giving information, you know, how often does someone find out what you do anywhere I go, everywhere I go. The second someone finds out that I work on women's optimization, hormone optimization, metabolic optimization, they're just like, oh my God, because who who doesn't need it? Every We all do, you know, and we all need it. And so- <laughs> human optimization and, and specifically energy being currency, but I want to dive in, kind of initially dive in about, I just want to own women being, when I read that, when I listened to that for the first time, it just resonated, like it dropped in and I was like, you're damn right. She's absolutely right. Like we've, let's be honest, we're still, women are still trying to figure it out and biohack themselves because, you know, we could, we could do better on the research front. Totally. I mean, I look at women as original biohackers because we've been going through these weird phases of our lives for so, so long. And if you really think about it, like we weren't even living to 85 a hundred years ago. Like, so we've had to figure out how the heck do we age knowing that our ovaries basically run out of eggs once we hit 50, right? Like what? And not just, and then our hormones to just go, our protection is gone. You know, how do we navigate that? I mean, I'm a big believer in hormone replacement and I'm, I'm, I'm 100% going the Suzanne Summers route when I need it. But I'm also really excited about the companies that are coming out for ovarian age reversal and like, how do we pause? Like how, what would be really cool is if we could actually pause 
the loss of our ovaries and like extend the amount of time we have over time with our eggs. And so there's like a lot of really interesting companies coming out like Oviva that, you know, they're doing all this pioneering research because we're trying to figure things out. But, you know, sometimes these things back backfire, right? Like we had this birth control revolution and now all these women I know are like, so I basically went off birth control and I'm no longer attracted to my husband. And it's a thing. And then we're not also talking about, we're not talking about like how, how birth control has so many downstream side effects on our physical health. Physical and mental and neurological health. And then this whole fertility revolution, right? Like I'm freezing my eggs this year and I'm just like, whoa, like this is a real thing. This whole, like I'm 39. I got to get, I got to get on this. Like I probably should have done this two years ago, you know? And I just, I've been working like a mad woman for so long that it's like clear to me, I need to actually pay attention to this stuff. But we didn't have a lot of these biohacks 50 years ago, like 60, 100 years ago. And like women are 100% seriously biohacking their bodies. Then you think about pregnancy, think about breastfeeding. I mean, the revolution of women doing home births is a huge movement. All these women that are biohacking their children by saying, look, we're going to do co-sleeping whether the doctor says we should or not. And I'm watching co-sleeping totally change outcomes in children's development in different families. And I'm just like, whoa. I'm not going to lie. I'm, we, I have a two and a half year old who I'm still breastfeeding um, at 40, almost 44 years old. Amazing. Wait, did you have, did you use IVF or did you naturally? Naturally. You look so young. Thank you. What? How old are you? Um, I'll be, um, I'll be 44 in September. And so I had him at 41, but I reverse engineered, like I primed up for him nine months in advance. Like I was trying to create a super baby. I shifted epigenetics. I cleared trauma. I optimized my metabolism. I made sure all of my biomarkers looked great. I made sure I was well supplemented. I mean, name all the things like, um, and then had him and, you know, we are, you know, and I was on a, I mean, the protocol I was on during pregnancy, postpartum, these were very specific protocols to not only optimize my metabolic health, but optimize his as well, you know, because it all matters. And we look at the research and we see women who have gestational diabetes or just even more serious insulin resistance than what's naturally occurring during pregnancy. Our children have a significant increase in not only prediabetes, but in obesity by the age of 10. And so you look at all this and I was seeing this and, you know, no one's telling women like growing up, I was just talking to the, to one of my best friends, who's a fertility expert. She's like, but no one told us to plan. You plan for college. You plan for medical school. Well, we do. Um, you you plan, yeah, you plan plan for your wedding day, right? How long does that take to plan? But no, no, there's no talk about planning for the biggest metabolic triathlon that your body is going to encounter. And then they're just like, you know, maybe you don't need a supplement during it. Oh, or maybe you don't need to eat specific ways. I, I hear this from OBGYNs every single day. Women come to me. I, I see so many women with postpartum depletion and postpartum depression. The biggest biomarker they've found so far is glutathione. So we know that like detoxification, toxicity, like that needs to be taken care of before you get pregnant. A way before, months before. Yeah, I have a full conception detox protocol. Oh my God, I want all this. I want all of this. That my husband had to be on, obviously I was on, you know, but it's both. It's sperm quality is equally as important as, as egg quality. And you know, people need to understand what it takes to make, you know, really robust firm and eggs. And then you're still the carrier. 
you know, the level of hormones that have to be optimized, metabolic health, like metabolic markers that have to be optimized. It's just the amount of choline that you need every single day to make the, what is it? hundred hundred million neurons per, per minute is, is, is the fetus. So all of that, I've, I've dove so deep into all of it. But so now here I am, you know, at the precipice of, you know, perimenopause and breastfeeding <laughs> and co-sleeping. We co you know, because be- again, this is, thank goodness these re- there are revolutions in this. This is often a, a path less traveled. I'm just so grateful for you. <laughs> like, what's your background, by the way? Like, what's your um, degree in? Naturopathic. Oh, see, that's the move. I mean, I, if I if I could go back and do one thing differently, I would have done a naturopathic degree as well as an MD because naturopathic medicine is the secret. It really teaches you everything. What's your favorite textbook of naturopathic medicine? Mm, God, there's so, so many. Oh, I mean, I just, all of it was just, and here's the thing, even in school, like they didn't teach me, they didn't teach us a lot about women's hormone health or metabolic optimization. They didn't teach about like human performance. It wasn't about, it was still treating disease. This needs to be a book. You need to write a book. Are you writing a book? I, well, I have, I've written eight. Okay. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're new to me, Dr. Marisa, but I'm now going to be your, your biggest fan. So I'm really excited about the fact that you let me on your podcast. Cause I feel like I, this is a gift to me. And it's so weird. The synchronicity of like, I've been thinking about, I need to learn a lot more about biohacking fertility. I know a lot, but I could do better. And then you enter my life and you're like, I'm literally on a podcast the week I'm thinking about all this. So it's really kind of a cool, cool effects of, of just manifestation. Yes. It will hundred percent manifestation. And so, yeah, I would love to continue this conversation, but this is, this is your, this is your showcase. I want to highlight back to your brilliance. Uh, so I let's, so talking about the ultimate biohackers and that we've had to, we're still having to figure it out. Right. And because not only are we shifting 24 hours, 28 days, I mean, multiple stages in our lives that just, and again, like you said, navigating perimenopause into menopause, and then, you know, the kind of the, you know, we fall off the cliff in a lot of ways. I mean, that's where the numbers get super scary for so many women. And like, how are we navigating that? And like you said, bioidentical hormones are so critical, but I find that the foundational piece is literally what you teach, Molly. We've got to have the metabolic piece in foundation in place or we're screwed. It's really everything. I mean, mental illness, metabolic illness, these are all rooted in mitochondrial dysfunction. And inflammation is a alarm signal that the body produces when there is something wrong. And when you look at inflammation, everyone always asks, well, what's inflammation and why do we care about it? It's like inflammation is an alarm signal. It is literally an overheated engine. And it's the immune system saying something is up, you need to pay attention. So there's this, this huge discussion of like, is it the chicken or the egg? Does inflammation cause mitochondrial dysfunction or does mitochondrial dysfunction cause inflammation? It's both. You know, like if your gut is unhealthy, you're going to have mito- microbiome mitochondrial crosstalk. So you can't overlook digestion and gut health, which is fundamental to naturopathic medicine, yet completely overlooked by modern medicine. And all I remember the number of times I would see people get the exact same GI workup and they're like, nothing's wrong. <laughs> and it's like, Actually, the person has leaky gut, the person has dysbiosis, the person has like H. pylori and maybe they missed it. Or, you know, it's like, there's so many things that are missed by modern medicine when it comes to gut health. So you, I always tell people, if you, if you don't optimize your gut, then you're not going to be healthy, but you got to have your food, here's your fuel. And if you're not breathing clean air and you're not drinking clean water and you're not eating clean food, I, I don't, I know the word clean is a little bit like stigmatized, but 
whole real foods that are not processed packaged crap. Nutrient dense. Yep. Nutrient dense foods. If you're not eating those, then you're not going to have a flourishing health because that your body needs these building blocks. And I eat a super healthy diet and I have deficiencies. And so if that can happen to me, it can happen to you because our diets, our, our, our food supply is losing nutrient density. And the craziest thing that happened to me recently is I went to Europe and I ate food in Europe. I was less hungry. I was more full and I felt healthier and I lost weight. I come back into town. I'm like, wow, I literally look awesome. And it was literally from living in Europe for two weeks and eating whatever I wanted, but not really overdoing it because I didn't feel, I, I felt so satisfied by the food because it's more nutrient dense because they don't they don't cover it in glyphosate. You know, they don't allow GMOs. So they just have a fundamentally better food supply than we do in America. And it it's so palpable when you, when you go to another country and you can tell. But I kind of want to get into the area of biohacking that is overlooked the most, I think, and it's our sexuality. So one of the things that's really fun about my life right now is I've spent 10 years on metabolism. And if you want to learn about metabolism, read my book, The Spark Factor, and get the book Brain Energy by Christopher Palmer. And if you want another book that's a really good one, Ben Bickman has a book called Why We Get Sick. All these books are basically saying the same thing. Insulin resistance precedes illness. Insulin resistance precedes belly fat. Insulin resistance precedes PCOS. Insulin resistance precedes, yes. <laughs> it's everything. It's everything. Fertility issues. So if you if you have insulin resistance, if you have insulin resistance, you have to pay attention to what you eat, how you move, how you sleep, how you stress, what your environment looks like, the toxins are in your body. All of that is pretty straightforward. It definitely requires metabolic flexibility and learning how to drop into ketosis and learning how to do carb cycling and learning how to do fasting. Not everything all at once for a woman. So you don't overdo your, you don't mess up your hormones, but fundamentally, like, I think I've outlined it really well in my book. The one thing that I, I am trying to talk a little bit about is the next thing that I'm working on right now, which is biohacking sexuality. So we overlook sex a lot in our culture because it's in our face all the time. And in a lot of ways, like it's everywhere. And yet a lot of people aren't having it. And it's really funny that sexuality and female sexuality is particularly threatening to the world. And I've, I've got four friends who've had companies in the sexual health space. And I had a conversation with all of them and they're like, you, you do know that you're going to get, sh you know, if you're not careful, like any of your ads, if there's any of the wrong language, any of the wrong photography, you're going to get shadow banned because it's a major threat. And it's really, it's like baked into the fabric of the internet that if you are trying to promote female sexuality in some way, then you can't be found. Well, we are reinventing sex therapy and we are taking, we're picking up where Masters and Johnson left off and we're reinventing a new way for people to learn how to connect sexually. And I hired these amazing sex therapists, Aaron Michaels and Saida Desolets, and they designed a new sex therapy protocol, which we're going to be teaching through Zoom. And we're recruiting people to our first um, program. And we're also inviting people to join a study if they want to see their effect, the effects of the intervention. But I wanted to not only fix sexual dysfunction, secondary to the psychosocial and psychosomatic causes, but I also, also wanted to figure out how do we optimize sexual connection? And how do you revive a relationship that maybe has lost its spark? And so my company started as a psychedelic company. But we decided to pause in the psychedelics until the industry kind of catches up and focus on the protocol and then eventually test it alongside legal medicines that are going to get approved in the next five to 10 years. So it's a really exciting company called Adamo. And I just wanting everyone to know who's listening that follow me on Instagram and make sure to follow me on my website, drmolly.co is both of, both of my names. 
because I think the next frontier of biohacking is human connection. I think it's biohacking our sexuality, it's biohacking our relationships, it's biohacking our, our communities, and really optimizing connection as a path to health. Because I think it's actually the fr- I think it's really just the frontier. Like I think this is where women can actually shine. And so much of biohacking has been a man's sport, but we're really good at these three things. We're great at loving. Women are often more power. Women, I've, I've spoke to a lot of women about sexuality. I've met way more women who are able to have multiple orgasms than men. So women have this incredible power to produce life. And it is the fundamental birthright, right? Like this is why we're here. And whether you have kids or not, you have this incredible power within you to harness your sexual energy for your own health and your partners and your family's health and flourishing, right? Like when women are in touch with their sexuality, they radiate and they have more energy and they're more able to give because they have so much more vitality. And so I really think optimizing sexuality is a path to having better energy and having better, higher capacity to do everything you want to do in your life, whether it be running a company, raising children, building, creating art. And so that's why I'm, I'm like, my next chapter is all about biohacking sexuality. Ooh. And I know you do, you too touch upon it inside of the book as well, towards the end of the book. And obviously the metabolic piece is foundational in terms of us having the energy, having, you know, I think about you know, our reproductive system with, you know, an average of 15,000 mitochondria per, per ovarian cell, like there's so much energy that is required to drive, you know, our body's reproductive system. Like everything has just got to be in lockstep. And then we get that handled and we can kind of elevate into that next deeper connection. Yeah. I love it so much. I don't know if you want to spend any more time. I know we're getting close. Um, because that is, is so exciting. I know we want to hear more about that. Yeah, let's just spend a little bit more time, you know, you know, and in it being kind of the on energy. Yeah, on well, energy and also, but like deeper connection and sexual energy. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, as somebody who suffered from sexual trauma twice in college and has had very close friends, and by the way, many friends of mine, once I started this company, I was like astonished. It's one in Five are raped, one in four are abused as children, one in three are assaulted. And my general belief is that these numbers are double because there's a lot of women who, if you actually ask them, they will say, well, it happened, but I, I just brushed it off. You know, So only 30% of women who, are, who have a sexual trauma develop, sex, develop PTSD, but about 60 to 80% of them will develop sexual dysfunction. So I was one of those people who didn't have PTSD, but I had sexual dysfunction. And I really didn't know why sex sucked so much in my 20s. And I was always like plagued by this disconnect where I was able to masturbate and have an orgasm on my own, but I could never have an orgasm with a partner. And I was just like, why am I broken? Like, what is wrong with me? You know, and it was literally the fact that I lost my virginity to a rape. And as a result of that, my nervous system was programmed to associate sex with pain and trauma. And I was not able to be able to relax into a sexual experience because my nervous system said, this isn't safe. So when I realized that like, I am not alone and there was literally millions of women like me in the world, I was like, well, I wanna play a role in, in like helping other women heal. And now I don't think my company can do everything for everyone by any means, but I do think that just being able to like, talk about this stuff publicly and let women out there who are listening know that there's there's people like you 
that have overcome these horrible experiences and been able to like actually flourish and thrive. And now I have, like, when I have sex, it's like a transcendent spiritual experience with God <laughs> and my my partner, but God usually. And I don't think most people see their sex lives like that. And most people do not have this like spiritual divine connection to source through their, through their sexuality. It was, a, it was completely on accident for me. Like I didn't anticipate to accidentally heal from trauma using MDMA. It's funny. My name is Dr. Molly because this was way before like this is way, way, way before this big psychedelic movement, you know, this happened in like 2012, 2013. So fast forward, there's a maps conference coming up in Denver and I'm organizing a breakfast where we're, we're going to sit and talk about sexuality and psychedelics. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily recommending that everyone go out and do MDMA with their partners and think they're going to heal like I did. But I do think that there is going to be a time in the future where there are paths to healing that are clinically validated ways to actually achieve freedom from the consequences of trauma on the nervous system. And the number one cause of PTSD in the MAP studies is sexual trauma. So we're designing a sex therapy protocol that can work alongside MDMA once it gets approved as a medicine. And I've already spoken with the CEO of MAPS and they're totally like, look, this is a, if you study this and you show that this has efficacy, like there's no reason you can't teach this to other people that are working with our medicine and working with our protocol. So it's a long journey I'm going on and it may take a long time to make this medicine. But I really think that my vision is that women can learn to use these medicines safely and carefully without hurting themselves or others. And be able to actually move through trauma and pain because the biggest causes of um, sexual dysfunction aside from, you know, obviously hormone deficiencies and biological causes, which metabolic syndrome is definitely a cause of, of sexual dysfunction. Even birth can lead to, even just birth can lead to sexual dysfunction. A really traumatic birth can lead to vaginismus and dyspareunia. So I do recommend that anybody who has problems with their pelvic floor, you should totally see a PT and you should totally, if you have like a bunch of chronic health conditions, it's not like I think that my my protocol is going to necessarily fix like the organic causes of sexual dysfunction. So that needs to be clear. But but a lot of sexual dysfunction is due to our relationship we have with ourselves, our relationship we have with our partners, and our relationship we have to our traumas. And when you really look at those as areas to optimize, well, psilocybin is getting studied for mood disorders, and MDMA is getting studied for trauma, and ketamine is already being used in couples therapy all over the country. So, and it's used for trauma. So I'm, I'm slowly, carefully building a company that is trying to do something very edgy, but we're starting with our sex therapy because that alone, we think is going to make change outcomes for a lot of people because we know that sensate therapy works really well, but a lot of people struggle when they have sex, having a lot of pain and dryness and lack of orgasm. And a lot of the problem is, is that the partner is going to quickly into sex and the and the receptive person in the in the relationship is not actually able to even speak about what they need, which is usually slowing down and getting far more engorgement of their genitals as well. When I realized that men and women both need to have engorged genitals, I was like, "Whoa, we are getting sent a completely wrong message about sex as women by porn. We are being taught that a woman who is sexually ready for to receive a penis." or a strap on, if you're a female and you're, and you're a lesbian, we're taught that like your vagina needs to be tight and tucked away. It needs to be 
small and tiny and tucked away. That's what an attractive vagina is. An aroused vagina is red, swollen, and wet. And I don't see that very often in pornography because I don't think that most people in porn are actually having real sex. They're having a performative act. And my experience with sex in my 20s was completely performative. And I think a lot of women who are in long-term relationships who are raising children, their sex is performative. And what if sex was actually meant to actually make you feel good? What if you were able to achieve higher states of consciousness? What if you were able to achieve multiple orgasms? Like that's what I want to see the world shift into. So boldly, I wrote a sexual manifesto, uh, sexual revolution manifesto, because I'm going to organize a conference for 2024 to bring together all the best sex educators in the country. And if not world to like teach everyone about, and also just like to band together because there's a lot of forces against female sexuality. And basically most of what we experience in the world around sexuality is through a men's lens and, or the lens of the superficial, the Kardashian, you know, the sort of lens of your sexuality is about your appearance. It's not about your connection to yourself or your connection to your partner. It's about how you look. All of it's performative. And that's not really what sex is supposed to be. Because if you actually read books on magnificent, there's a great book called Magnificent Sex, another great book called Transcendent Sex. Sex is about transcending your boundaries of your body and actually merging with your partner and actually realizing how amazing it is to feel connection. That's what really great sex is about, is about really great connection. And so many people don't know how to get there. So I hired these incredible, in my opinion, our generations, Masters and Johnson, and I hired them to build a sex therapy protocol. And it's literally the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And now we're going to go test it. So if anybody's interested in listening to this podcast, um, follow me on Instagram. I'm going to be having um, you know, my link in my bio, my, in, my, my, my homepage on drmolly.co. We're, we're launching Adamo, uh, adamobioscience.com. Probably also we're working on buying adamo.com. All of this is getting launched this summer. So stay tuned and follow me because I want to see as many women as possible and their partners join this movement with me. Thank you. You know, that's, I, I just love this conversation went in so many different directions and it was just such a wild and fun ride, but I just love the work that you're doing in the world, Molly. And one, I'll have the link to the book. I'll have the link to Instagram, anywhere else you, you want, you would love for us to go and tune in. I'm also on Twitter at Molly Maloof MD and I'm on LinkedIn, Molly Maloof MD as well. So I'm, I'm pretty active on socials. Um, I have a newsletter as well. If you want to sign up on Substack called, um, your, your dose of Dr. Molly. And so it's going to be really, it's a really fun. Um, I, I really enjoy my online, my online ex existence. It's, it's a, and people who've met me in person are like, you're like the same person you are online. I'm like, that's the point. <laughs> like, so I try to be authentic and really vulnerable with people and open and honest and maybe to a fault, but I'm having a blast. And so it's just been a real honor to be on this podcast and to meet you. And I cannot wait to get by all your books and to like dig into all your podcasts and really continue to get to know you better. Thank you so much. You too, honey. All right. <laughs> well, there is so much to take away from this conversation with Dr. Molly today, but two things that really stand out is that blood sugar monitoring is a powerful biohacking tool to provide real-time insight into your metabolic health and that prioritizing relationships and partnerships, a key to vitality and longevity. And the last thing that stood out really, and something that I've known for quite some time, is that insulin resistance is truly the root cause to mitochondrial dysfunction and ultimately disease. So how do we get a handle on all of that? 
Well, if you want to learn more about how to optimize your mitochondria and walk back early signs of metabolic dysfunction, which I feel we all need to do more than ever, I highly recommend checking out Molly's new book, The Spark Factor. And if you are looking for simple yet super effective ways to start hacking your blood sugar, grab my free guide with my favorite and science-backed strategies. These are strategies that I use every single day to keep my blood sugar in optimal range and to keep my insulin levels, my fasting insulin within optimal range as well. Now, both links will be in the show notes for this episode. And again, I hope that they open the door for true incredible healing. Now, if you walked away with something that was powerful that you were excited to implement today, I would love for you to subscribe to the show and take a moment to rate the show. And that way, more women who are desiring to become CEOs of their health have a pathway to do so. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 